liftoff and the clock has started. This is 20 minutes, you'll never get back. Hi there. I wasn't ready to get going yet. This is 20 minutes, you'll never get back. My name is Doug Prezak. Thank you very much for downloading this episode, number 67. And the announcer today was Isabel from Mather, California. She sounded kind of nervous, didn't she? Anyway, Isabel, you just earned yourself 5,000 20 minutes you'll never get back points that you'll be able to spend in the uh, 20 minutes you'll never get back merchandise and souvenir shoppy <laughs> just as soon as I open it. Uh, don't hold your breath, okay? And greetings this week go out to Utica, New York and uh, Broma. Broma is a borough in the western part of Stockholm, Sweden. I did some extra research. And Valencia, California. That's where um, Six Flags Magic Mound is located. Uh, you know, Magic Mound actually holds the world's record for the most roller coasters in an amusement park. There's 19 of them. I've been on uh, five of them. <laughs> Seven if you count the little kid ones. <laughs> I'm not a huge thrill seeker. Anyway, Utica, Broma, and Valencia all listened to last week's show, and I hope they are still listening. <laughs> Speaking of listening, uh, cue the music. This podcast had its 5,000th download last week. I know most podcasts get uh, 5,000 per day, but, you know, I'll take the win for my little show here. Remember, there's no advertising, well, except for those stupid commercials. There's no subscription. It's all free. It's, it's all on you. You guys did it. So thank you very much. And, you know, what? if you tell two friends and they listen, you'll each get, oh, say another 10,000 points. <laughs> Man, I am handing out points like crazy, aren't I? I know that's a real cheesy way to build up my numbers, but hey, I'll do it. Points are free. <laughs> All right, enough of that. If you follow this show on the Instagram thingy, then you probably have already figured out what today's show is all about. The clues were kind of easy. Uh, no need to ask the spirits. There's no need to slide something around a board. It's time to reach for help from the other side. It's time to talk Ouija. <laughs> Now, I would suspect just about everybody knows what Ouija is. I assume uh, it's a worldwide thing, but I know what happens when you assume uh, I always end up being an ass. So just to make sure we start off on a level playing board, uh, here's a brief synopsis, okay? The Ouija is known as a spirit board or a talking board. It's a flat board that has letters of the alphabet printed on it with the uh, numbers zero through nine and the words yes, no, it also has a goodbye <laughs> printed, on the, printed on it. How courteous. It uses a small teardrop-shaped piece of wood or plastic uh, as a movable indicator to spell out messages uh, during a seance. But I'm guessing instead of a seance, it's probably more like a teenage sleepover party. Uh, by the way, that teardrop thing is technically called a planchette. Um, just in case you want to use that for a scrabble or something, you know. And if you use that word and somebody challenges you on it, you go, oh, no. I heard it. Guess where I heard it? That's right. I heard it on 20 minutes. You'll never get back. So there. (laughs) Uh, Participants in the Ouija seance place their fingers on the planchette. And in theory, the spirits move it around the board to spell out words. So that's Ouija board in a nutshell. Now we head into how did this happen? Well, the real history of the Ouija board is just about as mysterious as how the game works. Okay, I know you've probably played a Ouija and you think you know how it works and there's no mystery. But do you really? We'll see. Ouija historian Robert Murch. Do you think that says that on on his business card? Ouija historian? Anyway, Robert Murch has been uh, researching the story of Ouija since 1992 
When he started his research, he says no one really knew anything about Ouija's origins, which struck him kind of odd. He said for an iconic thing that strikes both fear and wonder in the American culture, how can no one really know where it came from? Well, the Ouija board, in fact, came straight out of the American 19th century obsession with spiritualism. You know, that's the belief that the dead are able to communicate with the living. Spiritualism, which had been around Europe for years, hit America hard in 1948 with the sudden prominence of the Fox Sisters in upstate New York. In the early 1800s, the Fox Sisters claimed to receive messages from spirits who rapped on the walls in answer to questions. They recreated this feat of channeling in parlors across the state. They had launched a spiritualistic movement that continued across the country. In fact, in the aftermath of the Civil War, there were hundreds of thousands of husbands and fathers and sons who were lost. Spiritualism and the belief that the dead can speak to the living had gained steam with people desperate for a connection to their departed loved ones and the greater meaning for their own lives. As spiritualism grew in American culture, so did the frustration with how long it took to get a meaningful answer out of those spirits knocking on the walls. I mean, can you imagine calling out the alphabet and waiting for a knock at the right letter? Okay, A, nothing. B, nothing. C, okay, C, everybody write down C. (laughs) I mean, the telegraph had been around for a long time, so why shouldn't spirits be just as easy to reach? People were desperate for methods of communication that would be quicker. Now, several entrepreneurs realized that, but it was the Canard Novelty Company that really nailed it. In 1886, the newly created Associated Press reported on a new phenomenon taking over the spiritualist camps in Ohio, the Talking Board. It was, for all intents and purposes, an Ouija board, with the letters, numbers, and the planchette-like device to point to them. The article went far and wide, but it was Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland, who acted on it. In 1890, he pulled together a group of four investors, including a local attorney, Elijah Bond, who claimed his sister-in-law was a strong medium, and they started the Kennard Novelty Company. Their plan was to exclusively make and market these new talking boards. None of the men were spiritualists, but they were all keen businessmen, and they identified a niche. Now, the Canard Novelty Company was incorporated the day before Halloween, 136 years ago, and began manufacturing Ouija boards much as they appear today. Unfortunately, they didn't have a name for the Canard Talking Board. Merch said that based on his research, it was Bond's sister-in-law, Helen, who supplied the now instantly recognizable name of Ouija. Sitting around the table, they asked the board what they should call it. Apparently, the spirits took over and the board spelled out Ouija. When they asked what that meant, the board replied, good luck. Now, you might say this was kind of spooky and cryptic, except for the fact that Helen acknowledged she was wearing a locket bearing a picture of a woman and the name Ouija was over her head. Now, Helen played a really important part in the Ouija maker's patent filing, knowing that if they couldn't prove the board work, they would not get their patent. So Elijah brought Helen to the patent office in Washington, D.C. with him when he filed the application. Now, there, the patent officer demanded a demonstration. He said if the board could accurately spell out his name, he'd allow the patent application to proceed. 
the correct last name was supposed to be unknown to Bond and Peters. They all sat down and they communed with the spirits. The planchette faithfully spelled out the patent officer's name. Now, whether or not it was mystical spirits or the fact that Bond, who was a patent attorney, may just have known the man's name is, well, that's unclear. <laughs> but on February 10th, 1891, a white-faced and visibly shaken patent officer awarded Bond a patent for his new toy or game. The first patent offers no explanation as to how the device works, just asserts that it does. Now, that ambiguity and the mystery was part of a more or less conscious marketing effort. Merch says these were very shrewd businessmen. The less the Canard Company said about how the board worked, the more mysterious it seemed and more people wanted to buy it. Ultimately, it was a moneymaker and they really didn't care why people thought it worked. The board's instant success, and now, you know, 130 years later, its longevity and success have showed that it cemented itself into a weird place in American culture. It was marketed as both a mystical oracle and as family entertainment fun with an element of otherworldly excitement. This meant it wasn't only spiritualists who bought the board. In fact, people who disliked the Ouija board the most tended to be spirit mediums. Duh. They, they had just found out that their job as a spiritual middleman had been eliminated. You remember that uh, Ouija historian, Robert Murch? Well, he claims the Ouija board appealed to people from across a wide spectrum of ages and professions and education, mostly because the Ouija board offered a fun way for people to believe in something. Quote, people want to believe. The need to believe that something else is out there is powerful, he said. This thing is one of those things that allows them to express that belief. It's not hard then to figure out that the board would find its greatest popularity in uncertain times. You know, when people hold fast to the belief and look for answers from just about anywhere. The 1910s and 20s witnessed a surge in Ouija popularity due to the devastations of World War I and the years of Prohibition. It was so normal that the May 1920 cover of Saturday Evening Post featured a painting by Norman Rockwell showing a man and a woman with an Ouija board on their knees communing with the beyond. And if you follow this podcast on the Instagram thing, you saw that painting. Alrighty, my Ouija board just told me it's time to take a break, but it spelled out break wrong. <laughs> I need to get a new Ouija board, you know, that has autocorrect. Anyway, when we... <laughs> Why, Doug? Why? Anyway, when we come back, we'll talk about just how the Ouija game works. I'm guessing magnets. Uh, wait, my board just said no. All right, don't go away. Hi, I'm Kip Parker. And I'm Charlie Parker. And we're the, the Parker, Parker Brothers. Brothers. Hey, Charlie, what's missing from our game catalog? I don't know, Kip. Tell me. Well, you can't talk to the dead. You sure as hell can. That's why we got this brand new game called Ouija. Ouija? What? Break that down for me. Well, inside the package comes a flat board with all the letters of the alphabet, numbers from zero to nine, and a yes-no written out by itself. Well, how does that work, Chip? Well, you ask the question, and then the dead move your hands in the direction of the answers. Dead like to answer all sorts of trivial questions. Feels like they'd have better things to do with their time, Kip. No, lost souls are lost forever, and they're really glad to help. Well, gee, Kip, can't you just get any sort of board with numbers and letters and talk to the dead? The dead prefer quality like anybody else. Quality you can only find at Parker and Parker. The Ouija board, brought to you by the Parker Brothers. The 
the dead prefer quality just like anybody else. <laughs> Words to live by. That was an original uh, Ouija board radio commercial. I'm not kidding. All right, if you've ever used an Ouija board, the concept is pretty straightforward. You kind of heard it in that commercial. Uh, you place your hands on a planchette. The planchette sits on a board, which has a yes, no, an alphabet, and the word goodbye printed on it. The idea is you summon the spirits you want to talk to, you ask them a question, and then they'll move the pointer around the board to spell out the answers. Then either you say goodbye or the spirits are done with you and they say goodbye and you, they head back to wherever they came from. Now, as a kid, you gather around with a few friends, put your fingers on the pointer and ask the question. The pointer then kind of seemed to move on its own and spelled out the answers to your questions. You know, were you actually speaking to the dead or maybe you thought a more sinister forces were at work? Or maybe you thought uh, more than likely is somebody else sitting next to you at the table making it move. I do remember a particular uh, game where there was a tug of war going on between me and my friend. That poor Ouija board didn't know what it got itself into. The board asks for mediums who are serious about the process. You're supposed to turn off anything that emits electrical disturbances. You're also asked to light candles and incense. (laughs) It all sounds pretty harmless, but there's a long tradition of people believing that Ouija boards are dangerous occult gateways that can lead to demon possession or worse. After all, what happens if it's a non-friendly spirit that's moving the planchette out without your control? Now, assuming it's not anyone intentionally pushing the pointer around, I, uh, you know, I'm getting tired of calling it planchette, so I'm just going to say pointer from now on. Assuming no one is pushing the pointer around like Tommy did, then how does this thing move around? Well, there's two factors at play when using an Ouija board. The first is a strong subconscious need for an answer to a question. And the second is a phenomenon that has a very simple scientific explanation. The mysterious mechanism that powers the Ouija board is something called the ideomotor effect and is basically a way for your body to talk to itself. The ideomotor effect says that people can move or move something without their conscious mind realizing it. It's an example of unconscious, involuntary physical movement. That is, we move when we're not even trying to move. Now, if you've ever experienced the sudden feeling of jerking awake from sleep, that's known as the hypnic jerk. You've also experienced a more abrupt version of the ideomotor effect. Your brain is signaling your body to move without your conscious awareness. The obvious difference is that the ideomotor effect happens when you're awake, so the reflexive movements you make are much smaller. Now, in the case of the Ouija board, your brain may be unconsciously creating images and memories when you ask the board questions. Your body responds to your brain without you consciously telling it to do so, causing the muscles in your hands and arms to move the pointer to the answers that you, again, unconsciously may want to receive. You know, in other words, if you really want the answer to question to be yes, and your partner knows it, you both could push the pointer to yes without either of you consciously applying any force. And if you think you can ever keep your hand completely still, try keeping a laser pointer's dot perfectly motionless. Uh, Unless you're next to a cat, then you have to move it around because it's so damn cute to watch it chase the dot around. Multiple scientific studies have shown various instances of the ideomotor effect in action. In one really well-known and often repeated variant of the Ouija board test, blindfolded participants with their fingers on the pointer spell much more incoherent messages. (laughs) Really? 
This experiment easily demonstrates that the Ouija board only works when the participants are able to manipulate the pointer themselves, and if a ghost or spirit were really in the room, it would be able to move the pointer and spell out coherent messages without any assistance. Unless, of course, the spirit's a jerk. But when the Ouija board users are deprived of their ability to spell out the words they can see, the game rapidly devolves into gibberish. Now, if you're a believer, this could be a real downer. The Ouija board is the kind of thing that some people want to believe is real. The board does unexpected, inexplicable things that its users believe they couldn't do on their own. That potential for surprise was part of the reason the Ouija board grew in popularity. Now, despite the fact that the idiomotor effect had been studied in relation to spiritualist practices as early as 1852, mystery was one of the Ouija board's biggest selling points. Now, the original patent made no mention of how the Ouija board worked, but it claimed it worked via, quote, the involuntary muscular motion of the hands of the players or through some other agency, end quote. The intent was to satisfy both science and the mystical. Through the years, the Ouija board continued speaking to whatever was on most Americans' minds, whether it was the spiritual enlightenment or more simple pleasures. Advertisements from the 1920s for Ouija boards presented as a joyful party game. In the late 1940s and early 50s, the board turned family-friendly and mainstream. Then in the late 50s and early 60s, American interests in the esoteric grew, and the board appealed to people curious about psychic phenomenon. The Ouija board saw an upswing in popularity in the 60s and 70s, following a wave of new spiritual and countercultural movements involving the occult. Parker Brothers acquired the rights to the board in 1966, and Hasbro has since acquired Parker Brothers in 1991. Through the 90s, interest in the board declined. More recent boards have been redesigned to glow-in-the-dark or as tie-ins to movies or other popular media franchises. I say add Bluetooth and see what happens. While Ouija boards, sorry for the snort, while Ouija boards are still commercially available and several movies have been made about them recently, they're nowhere near as popular as they used to be. So we get back to the original question, how does the Ouija board work? Well, the board isn't made in some sort of mystical factory with a portal to the other world. No, it works because if everybody's playing fair, the idiomotor effect is at the heart of the board, and that's because it works with what we've already set up in our mind. We know what we want the board to say, and our little subconscious controls our little fingertips and makes the thing move. So the truth behind the Ouija board is that it takes the power away from the ghosts and the spirits and it puts it back in our own hands, or Tommy's. By the way, the official stance of the Hasbro Parker Brothers is that this game has no more supernatural powers than Monopoly or Clue. Oh, no, no, no. Clue is real. Never be in a room with Mr. Green, or Miss Scarlet for that matter. And if either one of them get the candlestick, get out. And with that, we're going to close episode 67. But first, what have we learned? Well, we learned that uh, Ouija came about because people were just too tired of waiting for knocks to happen. We learned that if you're blindfolded and you're playing on Ouija, uh, your board's going to spell out something that looks like my cat would have spelled it out. And lastly, we learned that the idiomotor effect is just too complicated and it makes the Ouija pointer move. I still say it's magnets. And that is it. My pointer just slid to 
goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at uh, 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. <laughs>